Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Once again, we find ourselves in the wake of an actor's death. Uh, this time around, it was actress Kelly Preston, married to John Travolta, and uh, has been in quite a few movies. We looked up for some movies that she had been in that were horror, and I think we found one. And that horror movie is Christine. So this week we are doing John Carpenter's Christine, written by Stephen King, <laughs> as a tribute to uh, Kelly Preston. So, uh, yeah, Craig, uh, I didn't really know a lot about Kelly Preston uh, coming in. And then as you and I got talking a little bit about her, realized she'd actually been in quite a few movies that I knew and loved. Mm, Space Camp from the 80s, Twins. You mentioned she met uh, John Travolta on the set of a film called Back in the USSR. Is that right? I think, I think that's what it's called. I remember that song featured prominently in the movie. It was a goofy movie about, like... The, how the KGB was setting up this town in Russia where they were trying to imitate Americans. Basically what they were doing is they were training spies. Huh. Um, but the town that they set up was like a 1950s town. And so they brought in John Travolta and some other guy, you know, not, they didn't know what they were doing, but to like modernize the town so that the spies would be better or whatever. It was a really goofy, goofy movie, but hmm. uh, she was really cute in it. I think I picked Christine because, well, I, I it must have just been the first horror movie that I saw that she was in. I think that she was also in From Dusk Till Dawn, maybe? She had some, some part in it, huh? Was it a big part or a small part? Well, I don't know, it, it, but I picked Christine just seeing that she was in it and... <laughs> Then I watched the movie, which I had seen before, uh, and realized that she has a really tiny, tiny role. Yeah. She's only on screen for, I don't know, five minutes max, and uh, she plays this beautiful cheerleader who pines over one of our main guys from the movie, and he overlooks her in favor of the lead female in the movie, whose name is Lee, played by uh, Alexandra Paul from Baywatch and lots of other things. But what I kept thinking throughout the movie, they kept going on and on about how like Lee was the most gorgeous girl in school, and Kelly Preston plays Roseanne, and I thought she was way prettier. I thought the guy yeah. was really stupid. <laughs> Here he's so got too. this gorgeous blonde cheerleader like throwing herself at him, but... He's interested in the bookish Lee, but that's okay. Whatever. Yeah. Um, she's young and beautiful, and uh, in this movie, and and she remained beautiful throughout her life. You know, she struggled apparently with breast cancer for a couple of years, and she kept it very private. Um, I, I think that her death came as a surprise to everybody except those who knew her closely and personally, and it was sad. I was really sad when I heard it. But I respected her decision to keep her health struggles private and was glad that she was able to do that. I, I think that she went peacefully, you know, with family around her and she was far too young to pass. She has young children. Um, that family has suffered tragedy before they lost their oldest son to an accident. He also struggled with uh, Kawasaki syndrome. And so they've had their fair share of trouble, but I'm sure that she's resting peacefully now. So yeah. I'm glad that we're taking at least 
a moment to celebrate her because I had a big crush on her from the movie Space Camp. I loved that movie when I was a kid. Oh, me too. Uh, and she was super, super cute uh, in that movie. And so, yeah, that's why we picked Christine. <laughs> you know, I also, watching this movie, got the feeling that maybe there are some deleted scenes. There are a Like, bunch. maybe her role was probably a little more expanded because she just gets kind of dropped, right? Yeah. Like, there's yeah. a pretty big deal in the beginning of the film where we start following this kid named Dennis, who's kind of the nice-looking jockey football player guy who has a more nerdy friend named Arnie with the huge nerdy glasses. That's how you know he's a nerd, because it's an 80s movie. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, he picks him up from his parents' house, and his parents are kind of giving him a hard time, Arnie a hard time. They immediately start having this sex talk, (laughs) you know, just very teenage boy. Now that we're going to be seniors, I figure that's about time that uh, that we got you laid. You know, like this here, huh? Huh? I need a girl to get laid. Well, what about Gail Justin, huh? Oh, Gail Justin yeah. Case? No, I, I don't like her mustache. Oh, f- you, Arnie. I mean, what do you care if you get a little hair in your mouth, huh? <sighs> okay. Uh, how about Sally Hayes, huh? She's cute. She's a sophomore. So what? She's a walking sperm bank, Arnie. I know. Come on. Well, I don't think I have the minimum deposit to open an account. You know what I mean? I... <laughs> Are you kidding? You carry your life savings between your legs. Come on, Arnie. I think maybe I'll just beat off. When they're in the hallway of the school, he points out and says, Hey, have you seen this super, super hot chick? Uh, which is, as you said, Lee walking down the hall. And in the meantime, there are these little bits where Roseanne is trying to flirt with Dennis, kind of flirts with him. He kind of gives her the cold shoulder. He kind of looks over her shoulder. You know, there's a bit in the library where he finally approaches Lee. Roseanne thinks he's going to be approaching her, so she kind of perks up, and then he walks right past her. And I feel like we never see her again after this. <laughs> we see her one more time. Uh, she's cheerleading at a football game. Um, and, and still, you know, watching Dennis, you know, fawning over Dennis. Um, and then I think that's it. I think you're right. I don't think we do see her again. Hi, Dennis. Hey, Roseanne. How you doing? I'm okay. Are they going to let you play football this year? Oh, yeah. I mean, Doc says I'm as good as new. Then I guess I'll be seeing you out there. I hope so. Well, TTFN. And, and so, you know, there, there's not much to say. You know, I think Kelly Preston was a perfectly fine actress you know i i never had any criticism negative criticism about her performances she's just you know very beautiful and charming somebody that i would have certainly been drawn to as a young man but you're right she's just not uh given a whole lot to do here uh, she's she's not really an integral part of the plot which is unfortunate because i would have liked to have seen more of her yeah and and don't get me wrong alexandra paul who plays lee is also very beautiful i i don't want to make it sound like i think she's some kind of troll she's certainly not she's very beautiful too um <laughs> kelly preston just kind of has more of an all-american look you know, and especially in this movie she's blonde wow. and thin and perky and she's got a bit of that like marty mcfly's mom feel to her didn't you kind of get a little that? bit a little bit you know a little bit but you've read the book right i assume you have i've not no this is one of the few stephen king books that i've never read which uh 
I say that, and then when I try to catalog all the ones I have read, he's written so many. Yeah. Um, there are actually quite a few that I haven't read, and this is one of them. But I'd be interested to, because I read that during this time, and really throughout his career, Stephen King has been so prolific, and he was so in demand that the rights for the movie were sold, and I think the movie was already in production or pre-production before the book was even published. (laughs) I don't remember who it was. John Carpenter ended up directing it, so I don't remember if it was the screenwriter. Yeah, Bill Phillips, the screenwriter. Who wasn't really interested in pursuing a movie about a killer car. They thought that that was too silly. But when he read the book, he was like, this is good. <laughs> uh, and and so he decided to do it. And was it him? Was it Bill Phillips? Or was it John Carpenter who one of them had a choice between either Cujo or this? Bill Phillips, yeah. He read both books. He thought Cujo was silly, so he decided to do this one instead. Which which is, I, I have read Cujo, and I think Cujo is an excellent book, and we've talked about it on the podcast. I think it's a great movie, too. This movie, you know, there's so much talent attached to it. Of course, Stephen King's name is huge. John Carpenter is a, a huge director. It's got not super, super famous people. In fact, they specifically chose with their main actors Actors to go with people who are a little bit less prominent. Some more prominent people auditioned for the roles. Scott Bayo, I think, auditioned. Brooke Shields auditioned. And there were a couple of other uh, big names who auditioned. They decided to go with some lesser-known people. But... There's a bunch of teen boys in the movie. There's our two main ones who you've already mentioned, and then there's basically like a group of bullies. And that group of bullies is like a cornucopia of (laughs) teen male actors from the 80s. Yes. None of them stars, but you will recognize every single one of them from some teen movie or some horror movie of the 80s. Um, So there's lots of familiar faces. There's lots of big talent. And the movie just didn't do very well, critically or financially. And I'm not exactly sure why. Yeah, I'm trying to figure that out, too. I I mean, I think I have problems with the movie, but I'm not sure that that is why it didn't do so well. It, it, It almost feels, as it was going on, I was like, gosh, this is almost just like Carrie. Again, you know, just it's a lot like Carrie. (laughs) And it's, you know, it's about this nerdy kid who, you know, with Carrie, you know, she has she's she's totally teased and and everything. And then she finds she has these powers and she uses these powers eventually, you know, to get revenge on the people who are pretty relentless and brutal towards her. This is the same kind of deal. This guy gets this car and the car has this sort of magical quality where it sort of seems to possess him as much as. It itself has some sentience. And uh, as the movie goes on, then the car kills people (laughs) who are bullying him, you know, until the final conclusion that ends in tragedy. So it's yeah, it is. There are a lot of parallels and it's an odd premise, you know, like the the screenwriter. If I had just heard this premise with like an evil killer car, like that's kind of dumb but i do think that there is promise here there even though i haven't read the book i i know that there are some differences between the book and the movie in the movie the first scene that we see is the car on the assembly line like it it looks like it's done but it's still on the assembly line the song bad to the bone is playing over this opening scene and the car injures 
an inspector and then kills another guy who gets into it and drops some cigar ash on the seat. Um, and, and it doesn't really show how it killed that guy. He, his body is just discovered. So the movie suggests that this car is just inherently evil, like off the assembly line. Yeah. In the book, it was just a normal car, but then the guy who owned it became so obsessed with it that somehow he developed some kind of like psychic bond or something with it that gave it sentience and allowed it to do things that's mentioned in the movie like the the previous owner is mentioned and the things that happened to his family like the deaths of all his family were somehow tied to the car and his death yeah but the the book suggests that it was that relationship that bond between the car and the owner that gave the car its energy and in the book when the original owner died Christine, the car, lost that energy. And that's why when Arnie discovers the car within the first 10 minutes of the movie, he kind of falls in love with it and starts fixing it up. It's like he reignites that energy. And and we see it in various ways. You know, he fixes up the car himself the first time. But then once he's established this bond with it, the car starts to be able to regenerate itself. It starts to be able to do things on its own. Like, he doesn't even have to be able to drive it. We see um, throughout the course of the movie that the mileage keeps rolling back as though it's gaining energy. Yeah. That's a cool premise, actually, like that that notion. It is. And I don't think that it's executed poorly. What I found myself thinking was that this would have been better suited for, like, an hour-long episode of an anthology. Yeah. I just didn't yeah. feel like there was really enough meat to the story for almost two hours, because the movie is an hour and 50 minutes long. It felt a little overly drawn out. I, I think that it could have been paced a little bit better, but of course they're going for a feature film, and so they need a certain link so they can put it in the theater and make money, so I, I get that. Yeah, I also felt like it was a bit padded, and you know, that's why I asked if you read the book, because as we all know, you know Stephen King's books can be pretty long, but they're usually pretty involved and intricate, yeah. and so the story that sometimes gets translated to the movie is considerably different, or is missing key elements of the book, usually abbreviated for time. In this case, I felt like there must be huge chunks missing. Like, for example, Kelly Preston's character, I felt like they had set her up to have more at stake or involvement in the movie later, but she never does. And I sort of felt the whole movie was a little chunky this way, where it lost focus, or I should say it just changed focus a lot. Usually with the film, you know, there's kind of a focus on one main character's story. Like, we more or less focus our the story, the plot, around one main character. In this movie, the way it starts out, you start to feel this is Dennis's story. Or at least that everything's being told through his lens. And I guess it kind of is. But there's so much of Dennis in the first, at least, quarter, if not third of the movie. Then, when Arnie starts you know, acting weird, there are huge changes. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, we don't get to see Arnie's transformation. We spend a bunch of time following Dennis, and then the next time we see Arnie, boom, he looks a little strange, and he's kind of got a collar popped out on his shirt. Uh, and then weird stuff happens, and Dennis is concerned. And then we're following Dennis for a little while, and then boom, we sort of see Arnie again, and there's something with the car. And then there's a whole sequence kind of in the middle where the car 
is the focus. The car clearly is the villain of the movie. And then it kind of switches focus over to Arnie a little bit more. And then when it comes toward the end of the movie, it's that classic, you know, the friend is concerned. And so he brings, you know, the girlfriend along and they try to figure out how they're going to help Arnie and they're going to kind of save the day. That just sort of feels kind of tacked on at the end, (laughs) you know? It is. There wasn't like this gradual, progressive transition in all of these, I would say, three main story threads. It was like we just got bits and pieces of it, and it would jump from thread to thread being the main focus of the movie. So it led to some moments where I just kind of scratched my head thinking, yeah, I guess this this is the limitation of a killer car movie. It's just a car. (laughs) I mean, it's like the killer doll movies. This thing, I mean, climb a ladder. Go to the second floor and you're away from it. And so (laughs) how sinister can you make a car through a whole two-hour movie? Right. I agree with what you're saying is that the focus is weird because in the beginning, like you said, it seems like it's focused on this relationship between this kind of nerdy guy and this popular guy. And and Dennis, the popular guy, is played by John Stockwell. A- again, very familiar. He was one of the pilots in Top Gun. Um, he was in a cute sci-fi movie, My Science Project, from the 80s that I really liked. He's still working. He was in Turistas. But he's like the nice jock. Uh, yeah. And Arnie, and Arnie has been his best friend, apparently, since they were kids. And so, and, and you get this establishing scene where they're supposed to meet, you know, even though the other guys in their friend group kind of take little jabs at Arnie, it's all pretty innocent. Yeah. But then Arnie gets really bullied by this this 40-year-old kid. <laughs> right. <laughs> so typical, Named, right? Um, buddy. How many times how many times did he flunk uh, out of high school? Oh my to- <laughs> god. This guy looked like he could have been Arnie's dad. But uh buddy and he's got his gang of goons and you know it, it's serious bullying where they're taunting him they're messing up they th- messing with him buddy even threatens him with a switchblade and dennis intervenes but he's no match for a whole gang of folks it, it eventually gets broken up by a teacher and the bully vows for whatever reason to get arnie later on which is kind of stupid like arnie never never did anything to him (laughs) like you singled this kid out you picked on him you got in trouble for picking on him it's not his fault but i i guess that's bully mentality arnie admitted under pressure from the teacher that broke things up that that the bully had a switchblade on him but yeah that's it you're right it's just it's it's a little silly and it doesn't have that. <laughs> this is where it is so different and so inferior, I think, to Carrie. is because we spend so much time with Carrie. And she is such a sympathetic character. Right. Whereas Arnie is just like this nice, kind of goofy guy. Doesn't really do anything wrong. Most people seem to think he's okay and kind of like him. Except for this group of bullies who are dicks to him. And his main problem is his parents. Now, you know, Carrie, right? One of her biggest problems was was her mom. But, I mean, Arnie's parents come across, as most of Stephen King's parents do in all of his novels, as just overbearing. Yet, they're not Carrie's mom, you know? No, no, she was mentally ill. I mean, his parents are just kind of assholes, but... I don't know, all teenage. well, I don't know, I can't say all teenagers, but when I was a teenager, I clashed with my parents for 
stupid reasons. Well, they're just kind of strict, you know? You're right in that Carrie is such a sympathetic character, and Arnie starts out that way. He just seems really meek, but nice and funny and unassuming, you know, appreciative of his friendship with this guy. And, and then they find this car... It's just parked not along the side of the road, but like in somebody's yard, junky yard. And Arnie's immediately drawn to it. He wants to buy it. The guy who sells it to him's name is George. And he's this old, crusty guy. And I'm like, who is that? And yeah. so I looked it up, and it's, it's it's Robert's Blossom. And he's the old, scary guy from across the street on Home Alone. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Much creepier in this movie than in Home Alone. He is. My asshole brother brought her back in September, 57. That's when you got your new model year in September. Brand new she was. She had the smell of a brand new car. That's just about the finest smell in the world. Except maybe for pussy. When he got her, she had six miles on the odometer. Goddamn rolling went through hell and back with Christine. Your brother loves this car so much. Why is he selling it? Because he's stone cold dead, that's why. Died six weeks ago. His daughter choked to death in it, and his wife killed herself <laughs> in it, and and then he ended up killing himself in it. And, but none of this really – and I don't even remember if all of that information comes out right in the beginning. But no. Arnie is just laser-focused on buying this car, and, and he's willing to give whatever – the guy asks and um so he ends up buying it for 250 bucks arnie is so sympathetic then he fixes up this car which takes no time at all yeah. um to restore this car he his parents won't let him have it at home so he has to take it to this like self-service garage with this crusty old guy who lets him keep it there and lets him use like spare parts from the junkyard so long as he like helps out around the shop and stuff but it doesn't take him any time to restore this car to mint condition yeah and where did he get these skills <laughs> yeah, he, well he said that he was taking auto shop but like he yeah. had just started taking it that year <laughs> like <laughs> i don't think you learn to completely restore a car maybe it's the supernatural influence of the car i don't know could be but my could point be. is the moment the car is done arnie changes like that he gets confidence and cocky yeah and like he stops wearing his nerdy glasses and he starts you know wearing like hip clothes but not just that he also immediately starts getting pretty jerky yeah one of the first things that we uh, dennis notices it you know at first and they kind of talk a little bit and like arnie's standing up to his parents more but that's really really quick and then the next thing we see is Dennis is playing football and Arnie pulls up in the car and like you know like some cool guy jacket or whatever and he's got Lee with him and Arnie knows that Dennis was interested in Lee and so it just seems kind of out of character that he would pursue this girl that he knows that his best friend was interested in and right in that scene, like, because, I guess, Dennis is noticing them, he gets in a terrible football accident and is sidelined in the hospital for the next 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so so that focus is completely shifted back to Arnie in the car. And by this point, Arnie's not so sympathetic anymore. Yes. 
Well, he's kind of like the villain of the movie, and, and that becomes a little problematic, right? Because who do you root for? It's, it's not like this sort of... I, there's a sense of possession, right? I mean, there's this sense, yeah. like, when he... Because he's so changed, because he's so attached to the car, and also his, his clothes and his hairstyle and everything become distinctly, like, 50s-ish. Yeah. And so there's, I think that's supposed to be a subtle nod to this, you know, symbiosis that he has with this 1957 Plymouth Fury. By the way, Stephen King chose this car because he deliberately wanted a car that didn't already have, you know, like a legend sort of attached right. to it. But it's cool that it's called the Fury. I guess that's appropriate. Yeah. It's a really cool car, too. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> and it, it looks sinister when it's up and around. I think they did a really good job with the characterization of the car. But here's the problem. Like you said, so now he's not sympathetic anymore. Plus, he has a killer car. Then they're going after the bullies. That's what happens next, is that those bullies, uh, one by one, get picked off by the car. And I'm pretty sure, although I don't know for certain, I think it's a little ambiguous, it's not like uh, Arnie is driving the car. It's that the car is sentient, and the car is going after these bullies one at a time. The supernatural elements of the car are kind of established before that. Like at one point when Dennis is concerned, before he gets injured, I think, when he's concerned about Arnie, he goes to look at the car and and he notices that it's like in perfect condition and he notices that the mileage has gone down. But when he tries to get into the car, the radio turns on and it's, I think... Is it like it's either Chuck Berry or Little Richard? I don't remember, but keep on knocking, but you can't come in. Which, by the way, I think my favorite thing about the movie is the music. They make great use of the music <laughs> in this movie. It's the way Christine talks, right? It's through the, it through the radio right. of the car. Yeah. Right. And so there's that, and that kind of spooks him. And then he has a date with, not he, uh, Arnie has a date with Lee at the drive-in. And this kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere, too. Like, she's kind of standoffish, like they're making out. I, I thought it was such a funny make-out scene, because, like, Carpenter made a point of showing, oh, look, he's trying to touch her boobs, and then <laughs> made a point of showing, oh, look, she's rubbing his crotch. <laughs> like, close-up, zoom in. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, but then she pulls away, and she runs out of the car, and he chases after her, and she talks about how she's jealous of the car. Yeah. Which is just weird. It's out of nowhere. Yeah. It, it, it is out of nowhere. And, and he's like, well, that's weird. I thought girls were supposed to be jealous of other girls. And she goes, well, who do you spend more time with? I guess meaning that he spends more time with this car. Okay, whatever. So We, we have to take her word at it because we don't know because we really haven't seen right. the, what's been going on. He gets her back in the car and then it's raining at the drive-in and the windshield wiper stops or like falls off or something. So he gets out to deal with that. And we see his door lock on its own. And uh, Lee takes a bite of a sandwich. And all of a sudden the radio comes on. I don't remember what song is. It's some sort of pointed song. And the, the, the interior glows really bright and she starts choking like, the car can make people choke on food? <laughs> yeah. It's really bizarre, right? Yeah. That part I didn't get. 
and he's unable to get in. She's unable to get out. And somehow a guy who's walking by, does she open the door? Or he breaks a window. I don't know. Something happens. She 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 gets it unlocked on her side. Arnie's on the driver's side trying to get in, but it's locked. She gets her side unlocked, and somebody else gets her out and gives her the Heimlich maneuver, and she's okay. But she's all shaken up by it, and that kind of it's not the like straw that breaks the camel's back, but their relationship is really strained after that. Yeah. Um, I guess he apologizes to her and, and that leads up to what you were talking about. The, the next day they're together and he says, look, I just have to stop by the garage to get my wallet out of Christine. Like, it seems like, you know, they're not going to take the car cause she's weird about it or whatever. But when he goes in, he finds that buddy and his gang have completely destroyed the car. And we got to see that happen. Yeah, um, that was kind of cool. I'm sure they had a lot of fun actually smashing that car up. <laughs> probably. They went through, a, I, I mean, I read that at least 15% of the budget of this movie was on cars alone. They went through f- like 15 or, or 20 different cars. It was not, more, like 28, I think. Not all uh, Furies. Some of them were, you know, cars that kind of looked like it. And some of them were plastic and things like that. But... Uh, but yeah, I, I, I even car enthusiasts were actually a little pissed <laughs> when they saw the movie to think that so many cars had to uh, these classic cars had to go through the ringer for it. Right. But uh, on the other hand, it highlighted this fury, which before you know nobody knew about. So what are you going to do? You know, it's like one or the other. And yeah, and so because Christine got beat and smashed up, he is furious and he's pissed. And he lashes out at her. Yeah. Like, not. Violently, but nearly, you know, like very yeah. aggressively. Like it's her fault or something. Oh, you wanted to see this. It, It's all a little contrived, I think, you know, or at least it's kind of pushed on us. Like if there was something that kind of built up to this, if there's some earlier encounters that they had or, you know, something we could kind of know about this more detail about the strain of their relationship, maybe this all would have kind of come off. But it's just like, yeah, Arnie's going a little crazy. Well, I, I, th- I think that what... The what's meant to be implied is that it's it's the influence of the car that's making him be this way. But it, it's like it's a symbiotic relationship. Like they feed off of one another, mm. uh, Arnie in the car, and it, it's having a negative influence on him because in moments he still tries to be sweet and nice to her, but he's just on edge all the time, and especially now. But that's when you know after he chases her off. He kind of starts talking to the car and he says, mm-hmm. it's going to be okay. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll fix you. And we hear like some crumpling metal. And when he stands back, he sees that the engine has repaired itself. And so he takes a pause and then he just says, okay, show me. Oh, as this though is he a... kind of knows, mm-hmm. well, you know, like, yeah, it, it, it's so weird, but it's an amazing scene. Then when oh, the car God. reconstructs itself, it's fantastic. The special effects here are just great. He stands back in the spotlight, and we get these close-up images of the car and the panels that were crumpled, uncrumpling, and going snapping back to nothing. Of course, this is all done in reverse, but right. it's so convincing that it's great. I mean, it's a delicious scene to watch, and the sound design here is amazing. Actually, I actually think the sound design. In the whole movie is quite good. Both mm-hmm. the the sound and the, uh, you know, when when you've got a car movie, you've got to have good sound design, right? 
but yeah, that and the music is is both pretty good. And John Carpenter did the music as well. I, I've always enjoyed John Carpenter scores, even though you can kind of tell them from a mile away. It's not orchestral, you know, John Williams type stuff, but he can really he can really bang on a synthesizer. Actually, the music reminded me now, now that I went off on that tangent. The music reminded me a little bit of Halloween. I mean, it almost felt like a modification of the Halloween score. Yeah, all of the neighborhood scenes, like <clears throat> like Arnie's parents' house, the neighborhood they live in, that was all filmed in the same neighborhood that Halloween was filmed in too, and so the, it's very reminiscent in look um, of yeah. Halloween too. So, but so th- here we are. That marks the point, right? Exactly. So here we are. I mean, that sets up kind of the I don't know. I guess what you would call the scary part of the movie. Yeah, which is just like I said earlier watching the car go after these people. So it goes after the big, big bully first, Buddy or whatever. Um, no, it goes after one no, of the other no, kids no, no. first. Yeah, yeah, one of the other kids. The, the guy that, the, the, the fat, the fat one. The, the fat one? <laughs> I, don't, I, <laughs> I, don't, to say. I don't know the actor's name, but I recognized him. He played the gross older brother in The Curse, which is yeah. a movie we should do sometime. Um, but apparently this is the kid who took a dump on the dashboard of the car when they destroyed it. And so he's the first one to get it. Now, Carpenter made the decision to black out all of these scenes. These death scenes happen at night. And Carpenter made the decision to black out the windows so that you couldn't tell whether Arnie was driving the car or not. And I was a little bit unclear, especially in this first one, whether or not Arnie was driving the car. Right. Later on... We know that when the other bullies get killed, he wasn't. We know that for sure. Yeah. But in this first one, I don't know. And so I don't really know if we can even really implicate Arnie in these murders. No, I don't think we can. There, there's there's a possibility that he had nothing to do with it. Now, he's not upset about it. In fact, he thinks that they got what was coming to them. But... I don't know that he actually perpetrated it. I think it was just the car. Well, there's nothing, right? There's absolutely nothing about this. There, we don't really get Arnie's reaction to the murders. We don't get a, a, any of Arnie talking to Christine, saying, oh, I can't believe what you did, or I'm glad about what you did, or anything like that. I mean, there's nothing. It's just, you know, end scene with Arnie, start scene in the, at night with one of these bullies, and the car is going after them. Uh, and then the next scene is daytime again, and then Henry Dean Stanton's character gets thrown in here all of a sudden as a detective. And he feels just thrown in here as well. He's only got like a couple small scenes, and it feels like almost the obligatory detective who pops in, who's supposed to put some additional pressure on the antagonist or whatever of the story. But it's a little weird. The questions he's asking him. I think he comes in after it's is it the second murder when the the kid no, backs it's just the first one. Just the kid the backs one. himself into um into like a dead end, and there are these like walls. a loading dock or something. Yeah, yeah, and there are these narrow walls. And actually, I really liked this scene because it just showed how relentless this car is. Because it's got him backed in there. However, the car is a little too wide to fit through, but it doesn't care. Like the car just burns rubber and slowly crumples itself into this narrow space to pin this guy against the wall and I guess sever him in half. Now, we don't see that happen. And that's another odd thing about this movie is that there's, is there any gore in this movie at all? 
Not really. We we I mean we only see the aftermath of one death. Like like I have a feeling that you're absolutely right. I think that this whole detective sub subplot must have been severely truncated from the novel. It just kind of serves to antagonize Arnie more. But it's not a real threat. Not really. I mean, because w- <laughs> the car is supernatural, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> what is he going to discover? I don't know. I mean, he tries to press him on it, but the detective doesn't really have uh, a leg to stand on. Um, r- right after that, there's a, just a real quick scene where Arnie calls Lee and is nice to her for like one second and then just totally blows up on her when she kind of brushes him off and yeah. <laughs> calls her a bitch and is really horrible. And then we get another scene of Christine going after the other bullies and she chases Buddy and one of his friends in Buddy's car and they end up at a gas station where the bullies get out and Christine smashes the car, and uh, one of their other bully friends works in this service station. The only one left outside of the service station is Buddy. The other two end up inside, and Christine just drives into the gas station and blows it up. Yeah, like, takes a whiz. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> takes a whiz of gas on the floor of the gas station and then runs out and blows it up. Yeah, the whole place explodes. It's a really cool scene. I mean, it's going to be tricky. And this is kind of what I said earlier. Like, it's a killer car. It's got to stay on the ground. It's got four wheels. It has limitations. All you got to do is climb a ladder or something, get away from it somehow or behind like a brick wall but this this car is pretty relentless in what it's willing to smash through and because we've already seen that it's able to regenerate itself you know we as an audience understand that it doesn't matter how smashed up this car gets it's going to be able to go yeah Uh, right puncturing the tires aren't going to do anything you know the end the front end gets smashed up doesn't matter so it's pretty brutal you know in how it goes after them into there i think this part of the movie i really felt like was Jaws with a car. That's what it felt like to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, the car felt like the shark from Jaws, and it was just relentlessly after these people. But and, and the big explosion, like the whole service station explodes, and it's a huge explosion, and it looks great. Um, but you, you get the suggestion that Christine kind of crushes one of the bullies in the gas station, and then... And then the gas station explodes, so you know that both of the ones in there were killed, but you don't really see it. Yeah. And then, another amazing part, Christine comes rolling out of this inferno, and she's totally engulfed in flames. And it's so cool. <laughs> it is so cool to see this car totally engulfed in flames, driving down the road. And it chases Buddy down the road, and again, you know get off the street you dumbass but <laughs> yeah. it eventually just catches up with him and runs him over and you see his body in flames rolling down the street that is the only carnage really that we see in the movie mm-hmm. um, and that and it's not gory there's no blood no. i mean it's disturbing to see a person on fire but you know in fact this movie um didn't have enough violence to get an R rating. And the only other option at the time, because PG-13 wasn't an option yet, was PG. So Carpenter intentionally inserted a whole bunch of 
sticks into the movie so that it would get the R rating because they thought if it was PG, nobody would see it. And they were probably right. Well, yeah. then later they were criticized for the language of the movie. So <laughs> but I, <laughs> even though way. the movie wasn't super financially successful, had it been rated PG, I mean, I think that would have been <laughs> the, yeah. the, uh, the last nail in the coffin. Nobody wants to see a PG rated horror movie, you know, not, if they're, not, usually, not like, not right. from Stephen King, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. And it was like the car from hell, just completely in flames. And again, in this era, when we know there was no CGI, just to see all of this great practical stuff happening and the stunts that, that were, you know, being done and, Oh, it's really that's the that was the nice part of the movie for me. I just really got behind this demon car that could regenerate itself and we got to see all that. You know, we don't need to see the gore, but I could see this car in flames going down the street. Yeah, not not bad. P- pretty good visuals, you know? John Carpenter's no yeah. slouch. Yeah. No, he's certainly not. And and that was really fun to watch, but then it's kind of like you said before, then the movie takes a turn like that chapter of the movie is over you know the bullies are all dead yeah christine has nobody left to kill (laughs) right there's no enemy so now what (laughs) and so now things get weird okay and i have to say that dennis seems like a really really nice guy but he kind of moves in on arnie's girl which i thought was kind of a dick move now it's not entirely him like she kind of calls him because she's worried about arnie um and (laughs) It seemed really out of character, like, you know, they're just hanging out, talking about how worried about Arnie they are, but she's awfully friendly with him, you know, like, (laughs) very touchy and, like, has her arm around him and, like, stroking his arm and, like, laying her head on his chest and, like, come on, you guys. Um, Uh But then it becomes about them... And and they just – she's like, I'm pretty sure it's the car. And he's like, no, that can't be. And she's like, no, I'm pretty sure. He's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, so they decide – I guess the deciding factor comes um, – Dennis says, well, look, we hang out – it's New Year's. We hang out, the two of us at his folks, every New Year's. I'll talk to him about it. And Arnie picks him up. And then this scene, I really like. And in fact, I hope that you play some of the dialogue here. Oh, I will. Because I think it's really interesting. But again, it it's not like it feels like a different movie. Well, <laughs> it, it kind of does. It does. You know what I like, mean? Well, here's the problem. This is why it feels like a different movie. They're in the killer car. Here we've established that this car is a killer, and Dennis apparently is willing to get on board with this concept and is worried about Arnie. So what does he do? He hops in the same car, and they go on this road trip, and now the car is just a car. I mean, Arnie's being weird, and Arnie's being douchey and stuff. But, well, it's it's beyond douchey. Like, at, at this point, this was when I felt like we were... And even visually, you're starting to see it. Like, he's getting dark around the eyes and... And Sweaty and angry. Yeah. And the things that he's saying are really, really dark. They're drinking in the car, which would be a big no-no in today's films, but this was the 70s, you know? I think people did that. (laughs) According to my dad, anyway, they did. (laughs) You know, so he's chugging beers and throwing them out the window. He's going like 90 plus miles per hour. A toast. Death to the shitters of the world in 1979. Come on, Arnie, I can't drink to that. What can you drink to? 
What about to us? You know, the friendship. Oh, friendship. Right, that, that's good. That's, that's real good. What I liked the most about the scene was getting to see, you know, just how far Arnie has been pushed, but also to see how Dennis reacts to it. Like, he gets really upset. Yeah. He's scared, clearly, but it also, he's all but in tears talking to his friend Mm -hmm. so i think that it's it's beyond being scared in the moment and more about like my god what has happened to you you know these guys have been friends presumably since they were little um and and i really liked that scene it it had an impact on me yeah it was a good scene again i I was still getting back into the groove of okay well now, now dennis is back in the picture i still was coming off of the whole bit of Christine running around killing things, and I just felt like it was strange that Christine was taking a break now. I don't know. What are you going to do? But, I mean, if I were Dennis, and I thought that Christine was this killer car, that was I would have invited him out for pizza somewhere. You know, I, I wouldn't have yeah. gone down the road with him drunk inside this car. And I was kind of hoping something, I was kind of thinking something might happen. You know, I thought maybe the car would kind of turn on, turn on Dennis a little bit, or, or you know, something weird you know kind of between christine and arnie especially because arnie goes on this big thing about let me tell you about love let me tell you a little something about love dennis it has voracious appetite it eats everything friendship family it kills me how much it eats but i'll tell you something else you feed it right and it can be a beautiful thing and that's what we have you know, when someone believes in you, man, you can do anything, any fucking thing in the entire universe. And when you believe right back in that someone, then watch out, world, because nobody can stop you. Then nobody, ever. I felt like he's describing this connection that he has with this car that he's driving and he's holding and all that stuff. But nothing else is really coming across visually, you know? Yeah, visually that, yeah, yeah. And I get what you're saying, but kind of the way that I interpreted it is that as long as Arnie's happy... Christine is happy. You know, she she wasn't just going out murdering people at random. It was vengeance. Right. And so she doesn't really have any reason to do anything now. Now oh, That's a good point. It's a good point. You know, I, I think had things transpired differently and Dennis had continued to try to get Arnie away from the car, then I think that would have been a problem. And it is. Good point. You know, because that's what they decide. Um, Lee, you know, after all this, Lee and Dennis come up with this plan dennis carves into the hood of the car the name of the garage and it's like the name of the garage tonight or something like that um and lee's like are you sure he'll come and he she he he's like yeah he'll come or christine will come their plan is to ambush the car in this garage yeah dennis like hot wires a bulldozer and they're going to ambush the car. Well, Christine's one step ahead of them. And and in this, at this time, Arnie is behind the wheel. So I think that at this point, we're supposed to kind of get that the unholy union is complete. Mm. You know, it's not just Christine doing things on her own. Whether it's her influence or whether it's just the culmination of their relationship he's aware of what he's doing and in this in this moment he's prepared to kill his best friend and the girl that he had professed 
love for throughout the rest of the movie. Um, so, and I think that's kind of the turning point, like the point of no return for Arnie, which is sad because I wanted Arnie to be okay. Yeah. And and we can talk about, you know, that, that scene. Yeah. He comes crashing in. I, I was a little unclear of what exactly their plan was. He was in the bulldozer, but she's on the ground. Uh, and maybe they just didn't get quite set up before Arnie and Christine came in. Christine and Arnie were laying in wait. Oh, they were in there already, like, yeah. Uh-huh. The car was, like, covered up with some junk or something. Oh, that's right, and they came out from under the junk, yeah. And the, I, I, I had the impression they burst through the wall, but you're right. It was just uh, coming out from under some junk against the wall. Yeah, so they come out and they start attacking him, and immediately he's going after her, uh, the girl. She's able, there. there's a lot of driving around in this small space, but she's able to kind of maneuver herself against a wall, and Dennis is able to maneuver the uh, bulldozer to protect her. But just before that, see, be, oh, man, it's, it's rough because um, Arnie in the car goes after Lee. She's like in the office or whatever, and the car crashes into the office, but Arnie is ejected through the windshield and... At this point? Stabbed. Yes. At this point? At this point, yes. In the very I'm beginning? Sure. Oh, I thought it was about halfway through. Yeah, you're right. She ends up in the office at some point. Yeah, and he crashes through. The, the car crashes into the office, and Arnie gets ejected through the window, and uh, he's laying there, and uh, you see, as the picture kind of pans around, that he has a huge piece of wind, windshield glass jutting up through his back and out his front in his dying moments he reaches out and caresses the grill of the car and then he dies and that was such a bummer because yeah. you know i thought they'll destroy this car and the the spell will be broken and he'll be okay and he'll be sorry and it'll i i really kind of wish it had gone that way yeah. um but but it doesn't he dies and, and then the car just can and then the car continues to pursue them and and like you said i don't know there's a whole bunch of business where dennis like protects her with the bulldozer i don't remember i think it's right after it crashes into the office there's a period of time where the front end is really messed up yeah looks like teeth yeah it looks like teeth and i thought that looked so cool oh yeah i mean without giving the car a a hugely like well it's got these supernatural qualities but without being too overdone with it just the the way that it was smashed up the way that the front end ends up looking at times it looks angry Mm -hmm. but then you know like you said it's got these teeth it kind of runs around but then it sort of regenerates itself and it goes after her and she is pretty immobile there dennis is able to get behind the car as it's going after her and smash the bulldozer down on top of it. So it kind of stabs the car with the bulldozer as it's inching towards her. And the thing about this bit I thought was really good. Like, again, the relentlessness of this car. Mm-hmm. The utter relentlessness of this car. Like, we know it can regenerate. This huge bulldozer is in it. It starts to go on top of the car. And it's not an easy go. I mean, it's going mm-hmm. over the top of the car, and then it slips back and kind of falls off and then goes over it again. The whole time, Christine is moving forward slowly and slowly and slowly, like, you know, like like a dying person crawling towards someone, you know, reaching out. Yeah. It's so intense, and the sound and the noise and the crunching and the grinding of the metal and this heavy thing on top of it. And finally, it just utterly gets completely through it, 
smashes the whole car through and through, kind of squeezes the front out its mouth, and Christine kind of is done. I guess it's just a little too smashed for this. And the well, next... <laughs> I loved it. I loved it when the bulldozer was um, rolling over it, and it, it was smashing it and smashing it. But the car just kept regenerating, yeah. and the car radio, the car radio was playing "Rock and Roll Will Never Die," yeah. and I just <laughs> <laughs> like you can't kill me. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. But they do. They they finally get it crushed and like the the headlights go out and the radio stops playing so it's like it's dead, and the next scene we see is in a junkyard where they've had the car compacted. <laughs> it's a silly scene because yeah. uh, the two survivors are standing there with the detective. Like, did they tell the detective the truth and he believed them? <laughs> <laughs> <It's so weird. laughs> and they're, as they're staring at it. They hear radio come on with some music, and they're like, huh? and it turns out to be a guy working in the junkyard walking by with the boombox behind him. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little fake out. That was funny. But then the camera, you know, slowly kind of dollies in on on the little square that is Christine now, and a little bit of its part sticking out there quivers for a second, mm-hmm. and then and then we get credits, so. Yeah, I, 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 was, I found the movie to get a little tedious. I think I think that third turn of events, you know, I was pretty ready for the movie to be done because I got what was going on. Okay, Arnie's freaking out. Guys, just like take care of whatever you need to take care of and let's let's finish the film. I was a little disappointed that we I, I'm not a gore hound. I was a little disappointed it wasn't with so many great special effects and cool things in this movie that it wasn't a little more R rated. Uh, but that's fine. And I thought the music was great. I thought the sound design was great. The story was just okay. Uh, it's probably not one I'm going to go back and see again, I think, just for all the reasons we've outlined here that it just does kind of loses its focus and uh, for me, you know, became a little tedious to watch. And it was really hard, like you said, to get behind kind of a premise, like here's the central character who's being beaten down, so we're rooting for them and they finally get their revenge. That's not really how this turns out, right? Right. So it's like, oh, here's this central character he's beaten down but then he becomes evil and then he's not sympathetic anymore and then they come in and they kind of get the car but then they also get him so nobody's a winner (laughs) right Uh, and so yeah it just mm, i don't know maybe that's why it didn't do so well i don't know i don't know i'm i thought it was okay john carpenter's a really good filmmaker but i would say that of his movies this would fall really low on the list for me yeah it's not poorly made it's well shot the acting is fine it's not spectacular but it's fine um like you said great effects and stuff i just wonder how it all came together because the special edition dvd has 20 deleted extended or alternate scenes and that's a lot (laughs) and so it just makes me wonder if Somewhere in the editing or or something, it just didn't quite come together the way that it, maybe it could have. I don't know. Maybe they did the best with the material that they could because it is an odd premise. But in the end, I think it's okay. I, I don't think it's a bad movie. I don't love it. I don't hate it. Didn't feel like it was a waste of my time to watch it, you know, just because it is a Stephen King adaptation. And because it's John Carpenter, mm. I was bound to watch it. And it was it was fine. 
Um, not one of my favorites, but it was, it was all right. Um, and I wouldn't steer anybody, huh? Good pun. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't steer anybody away from it. I just don't necessarily know that I would give it a strong recommendation. But, you know, that's it. And, and again, the, the lovely Kelly Preston, her brief appearance in this, it's really not much. We're kind of grasping at straws here, but <laughs> she is, she is somebody who I always liked and she seemed like a cool lady. She seemed like a fun lady. You know, before she got married, she was kind of a wild girl and she, uh, was with Charlie Sheen for several years. And it's kind of an urban legend in Hollywood. Somehow, while she was living with Charlie Sheen and they were together alone in the house, she got shot. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the full story is there. Probably by Charlie Sheen. <laughs> Probably. Um, so she, you know, she had her share of wild days, but then she settled down and became a mother and, um, I am very, very skeptical of Scientology, but she and John Travolta were dedicated to their faith, and if that's their thing, good for them. She seemed to be happy. She seemed to be, you know, at in the later stages of her life, to be happy to be a mother and, and to kind of be out of the spotlight a little bit. And she'll be missed. She She seemed like a cool lady. So we wanted to say something nice about her. This gave us the opportunity, so it was worth it for that. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. You can find us online. Just Google Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Go to our website, twoguys.red40net.com, where you can find a huge back catalog of episodes. You can leave us a comment there or on our Facebook page or send us a tweet and uh, let us know what you thought of this episode and or request something new for us. We're going to be plowing through quite a, quite a few requests uh, after this one. So until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With two guys and a chainsaw. Ah!